Hello and welcome to the launch of the second series of Air Talks, your fortnightly podcast from the UK's Risk and Insurance Management Association. My name is Richard Kutcher and to get the 2021 season off to a flying start, we are going to begin with a series of CEO interviews around the theme, Insurance Beyond the Hard Market. Over the next couple of months, in each episode, I'll be joined by a CEO of one of Airmic's primary partners, as well as a senior Airmic member as well. In this first CEO interview, I'm delighted to say our guest is Julian James, CEO of Sompo International. Julian has been in position at Sompo since February 2020, having previously held senior roles at Lloyd's and Lockton. And the Airmit member who plans to keep Julian and I on track is actually Airmit's new CEO and a woman listeners will know well, Julia Graham. So, Julian, for those who may not be uh, as familiar with Sompo International, can you perhaps start by giving us a brief introduction of the insurer and the, and the types of insurers and clients that it, that it likes to work with. Yeah, good morning, Richard. And thank you, first of all, for the opportunity to talk to your members today. And um, it's a great privilege to be here and also to know that Julia is on the line. And I think before I try and answer that question, I'd just like to congratulate you, Julia, on your recent promotion to be the CEO of Airmic. Um, I think it's fantastic news for your members. I know you and I have a lot of history together over the years, and I know that you will serve your members extremely well. So I just want to pass on you know, my heartfelt congratulations uh, to you personally. So what can I say about Sompo International? I think, first of all, it's probably true to say that Sompo International's name awareness is out of step with its size and ambition. You know, Sompo Holdings, which is our parent company in Japan, is over 130 years old and is the second largest uh, Japanese insurance company. But outside of Japan, our name is not particularly well known, and that's something that we are looking to correct. You know, we've worked very hard over the last year to talk more about what we can offer our insureds, but I recognize we're starting from a pretty low base of awareness. So perhaps, you know, a few facts might help. First of all, Sompo International wrote around about just under $9 billion of gross premium income for the 12 months ended September last year. And about 35% of that $9 billion is from the London market and from the international insurance division. We have quite a large parent behind us, as I said. Uh, we enjoy an A-plus rating. And we have some pretty strong ambitions to um, become a top 10 insurer globally. And when I kind of think about that, you know, a lot of people have ambitions. Um, we have very much said that the, the key pillar around our growth strategy is to be relevant to our clients. And by relevant, you know, I mean in terms of size, product offering, we want to become a go-to market and also be recognized for exceptional service. First of all, many thanks, Julian, for your kind words. I'm so pleased to connect with you again. And uh, I've got a very good memory. And I recall the awesome support that you gave me when I chaired Firma, um, which I'm looking forward to continuing um, into Airmic uh, with your role now at Sompo. I just wanted to add um, a, a couple of things. You know, at, at Airmic, we, have, we share your thirst for strong ambitions, and we've always tried to give the profession more than we take. And I think that that's a, a strong part of our values. But that's quite hard to do sometimes at the moment in, in the hard market that um, our members have been uh, living through. And in fact, at Airmic, uh, we've tended to use the expression harsh market rather than hard market, because the hard markets that 
we've both lived through over the years, there's some different characteristics this time um, to the market as it is today. And by harsh, we mean it's not just about price. It's about capacity. It's about cover. And it's about players coming and going from the market and therefore making it quite difficult to achieve some longevity um, in the partnerships and relationships that we have always extolled. Um, and that's been one of the things that we have promoted. It's quite difficult to have a partnership if somebody's not there anymore. Will we have longer term policies? Um, Julian, it would be very interesting to know your view on, on whether you see longer term policies. Is that something that at SOMPO you think might happen in the future? Or do you think we're still going to stay with the more traditional basis of covers that we have today? Yeah, I think there's a lot in that question, Julian. I, I'm very sympathetic to the disruption that buyers of insurance have gone through, certainly over the last 12 months. And I think your description of the market being a harsh market rather than a hard market, you know, is actually a, a very good way of describing them, the current situation. I get quite frustrated and have done over the years about the the obsession that exists in our industry about pricing levels. I mean, you can't pick up an insurance journal without people commenting whether it's a hard market, a soft market, you know, whether pricing's going up, pricing's going down. And I've always kind of viewed that as missing the point because the insurance industry is obsessed with sort of what I've described as navel gazing. And what it doesn't concentrate on enough is thinking about what it can do for uh, its clients. And clients through the last 12 months have gone through some really, really tough times. I mean, internally within their own businesses, depending on what business they're in, they've faced major disruption. We're all faced with a huge uncertainty of what a pandemic was going to due to the global economy. And we took a decision at Sompo last year when you know we all went into lockdown to be very clear that we were very much open for business. We knew that clients wanted a strong risk transfer partner. And we were very clear and very deliberate in our communication to our broking partners and to our key clients that we were open for business. And in a number of areas, we actually wanted to increase the capacity that was available and to be there to support our clients. Now, part of that is actually just being open for business, being responsive to make sure you know, that our, our underwriters there pricing product on a daily basis. And part of it's thinking about you know what we can do differently. I've always been a, a massive advocate of long-term relationships. Whether that translates into actually long-term policies um, or long-term commitments, but when we look at the clients that we want to work with, we don't look at them through the lens of a 12-month relationship. We look at it through, well, how long is this partner going to be with us and what can we do to work together over time? So, yes, the market is going to continually evolve. Um, if we can move away from 12-month policies and having to go through this procedure, I would be a very, very happy person. But most importantly for us, it's been about making sure we're open for business and that we can commit meaningful capacity to support our key clients. Julian, you, you mentioned the kind of brokers there in, in passing. I'm interested to know what your view is on the role of brokers, if you see that role evolving at all. 
And if you believe large accounts, large clients should be, do you want them to work more directly with you and have a more direct relationship with, with the insurers? Or do you think that that broker role is, is as important as ever? So the question about brokers, I mean, I've always had a, a healthy respect for brokers. That's driven partly because of the fact that I've personally worked in broking houses for you know, over 23 years. So I've seen what happens inside broking houses. And I've always viewed the relationship with insureds and, and clients has been a sort of tripartite relationship between, you know, a broker, a risk carrier, and the client. And I think brokers have an important part to play. They bring a lot of expertise in actually advising on, on risk and what the risk transfer options are. They bring a lot of knowledge about how to actually place and structure programs and have access to to global markets. And there's a huge amount of expertise within those brokers to look at long-term trends and to advise and help clients. And it might just be advice about policy language. So that doesn't mean that the relationship should be a sort of one-way street for a client talking to a broker, the broker then talking to a potential risk carrier. Because you know, my experience over the years, the most productive relationships are when there is an open dialogue, open communication, and there is an opportunity to communicate directly rather than through a sort of linear series of communication. So yes, brokers have had to learn some new skills in you know these challenging environments. But I w would always think there's a place for a broker at the table to advise clients. Well, one of the things that really impressed me when I've talked to your colleagues, by the way, is the sort of white glove approach to service, which I, I think um, does distinguish you um, from some others. And I was very interested to sort of hear about how Sompo uh, wrap their service around their clients. But in the new and exciting inshore tech world, where service sort of takes on a bit of a, a different meaning, and we hear about new startups all the time. Are there areas where you see insure tech making a substantial difference to large accounts in the short to medium term? Um, and can that live alongside the sort of quality values that, that you have at Sompo? Would you share our, your views on that one with us, Julian? Yeah, sure, Julia. I think there's been a, a lot of um, commentary in the press about uh, insure tech. Um, the, the problem I I have when I sort of think about the impact of insure tech is is that insure tech covers a very wide waterfront. You know, the theory is simple. You know, let's squeeze out our costs, improve a customer experience with better technology, and when I look at the areas that it can potentially impact, it you know can lead to you know better claims handling, data insights, sometimes it's about smarter underwriting, and you know policy administration. So, you know, InsureTech, in a wider sense, covers a a, a wide range of activity. I, I'm very frustrated and have been over the years about the the frictional costs that exist in the system. You know, it still shocks me that the industry spends so much money on inefficient processes, whether that's policy administration, whether that's access to markets, whether that's paying claims. And I think anything that the insure tech world sort of brings to eradicate that frictional cost is a good thing for everybody. I mean, there's no point spending money on costs that don't add value. And I think there have been great strides outside of the insurance industry and other areas of financial services. And, you know, there's a bit of catching up that we need to do. I also think that, you know, the use of 
data has transformed the industry. I mean, we're, we're far better at collecting data, but it is really, really important when you collect the data that you actually do something with it. As a business, we've invested quite a lot on the data side and continue to improve that. And that's you know, everything from analyzing trends to try and sort of get more accurate pricing information. We brought on somebody new uh, at the end of last year, a guy called Paul Shedden, who might be known to some of your risk managers. And we actually brought him in for a new role, which we called head of data and analytics. Because I think it's it, it's up to us as a risk carrier to get ahead of some of these trends and to use those trends, not only for us to run the business more efficiently, but to help your clients understand what some of the key trends are. So, yeah, I, I think insure tech overall, yes, it's a sort of slightly buzzy word at the moment, but you know, it has the potential to continue to improve the efficiencies of our industry and for us all to be allowed to have the opportunity to interpret data, which is to the, to the benefit of all, all the stakeholders in the insurance chain. Thanks, Julian. And, and I guess one of the challenges is that um, I think from where we sit, data can be both a weight around the industry's ankles, holding it back um, because of how much of it is legacy, but it's also, as you've described, the way of releasing the strengths that the industry undoubtedly still has. So it's that question of balance. Yeah, I think balance is a very good word to use, actually. And there is a proliferation of data that exists, but it does all come back, as I said, I think, to how people are you know, using and interpreting that data. You know, we know more about climate change than we did five years ago. We know more about you know, the performance of some of our portfolios. We know more about, you know, as a carrier, we know more about where our risk aggregates are that, that we did even five years ago. And, you know, you get a terrible event in the world and within five minutes, you, you're very clear as to what your potential exposure is as a company. And that's got to be a very good thing for us all in terms of managing our solvency and you know, managing our aggregate. So it, it's really incumbent upon carriers to use that data effectively uh, to make their business more efficient and to help clients understand their risk better. And of course, the insurtech word is, is as you say, is, is buzzy and it is so broad, isn't it? It does encapsulate so many different types of innovations which help either the insured or the insurer or both. And it's going to be really interesting to see, I think, which of these startups innovations clients start using directly um, for their own kind of risk management purposes and how they interact with the market. And that's one to watch out for. But Julian, just lastly, one question we're going to ask all of our guests in this leadership series on the Emmet Talks podcast is assuming you had a magic wand, what what three innovations would you like to see introduced uh, within and to improve the reinsurance marketplace? Wow, what a question. Um, oh, I wish I was prime minister for the day. Well, I think probably three that come to mind. And one is anything that removes frictional costs from the process. I mean, I've expressed already my frustrations around that and the wasting, wasted money that exists in our industry. The second thing is there should be more imagination around product development. And there's still too much of a focus on you know traditional risk transfer and you know when i ask to see the risk register of a client and i look at how much of those risks are not insured um i think it's up to us as a industry to be you know a lot more creative about helping clients transfer some of those risks and to offer products that respond to it and probably the third thing is something around the need to accelerate the diversity and, and training of the industry and I know Ermic is doing a lot of work on that. I was very lucky to be 
elected president of the chartered insurance industry, you know, about 10 years ago. And the CII has done you no know, sterling work on sort of pushing that agenda. But frankly, we have not made as much progress as I think we should do. And something to accelerate that would really help. And it's, you know, all forms of diversity and whether it's diversity of sex, religion, color, whatever it might be, religion, we need to do a better job of that. And I was thinking about this the other day, but, you know, when I was president of the CII, I was succeeded by Amanda Blanc, who I'm sure many of you people know. And 10 years ago, Amanda was only the second president, female president of the CII. And it's just extraordinary that the, the organization has been around, you know, that long. And, um, you know, she was only the second president. And I know there have been a couple since then, including the, the, the current president. But anything that would help improve the uh, diversity um, would, would certainly get my vote. So those are my three, Richard. I think those are three great wishes. I, I sort of get in a bit of an advert here for Airmic, if that's okay, because we published a couple of years ago a paper called Roads to Revolution, which looked about resilience in the digital age. And there were three things in there. And I think actually, Julian, you, you've touched on all of them. First of all, the insurance industry has got to use the opportunities that technology presents it with, and it's got to use them to the best effect. And if they don't, they will lose traction with their customers, especially those who are using technology, and there'll be a gulf opening up. I think I see in the insurance industry at the moment a bit of a resetting of its purpose. There's a lot of strategic thinking going on at the moment, a lot of repositioning itself, and I think that's both insurers and brokers. Uh, and we're all looking at the, the uh, challenges of systemic risk and trying to figure out what we can do about that, and I think that's driving and some of that repurposing. And then lastly, keeping in touch with us as the stakeholders. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you talk about the professional raising of the bar um, that we all need to go through, brokers, insurers, and AirMIC members. And we definitely see a coming of age, um, particularly in the risk management side of things. And uh, let's be blunt, if you don't understand the risks that you're facing, how on earth can you effectively use insurance and, and reinsurance vehicles? So a big drive in, in upping our approach to managing risk. Um, and those are all things that we stand for. And, and definitely things, Julian, I can recognize in everything that you've said during this broadcast. No, well, thanks for saying that, Julian. And, you know, I think as we said right at the outset, we're hugely supportive of and want to be supportive of the, the agenda that AMIC has set out. And I think AMIC has done some great work and some you know, great publications over the, over the years. And I know you're in the middle of your first 100 days. I guess by the time we will meet up in Brighton, hopefully in October, and hopefully that does go ahead. And I have to say I'm rather salivating at the prospect of being able to meet people face to face and have a proper conversation with people. You'll be quite a long way down your sort of 100 days by then. But we're here to su support you. Um, we're here to support your members. And I, I think that I will continue within our own company to sort of push our internal agenda, which is to very much sort of focus on the needs of our clients. Um, I've always felt very strongly um, the, the businesses that succeed actually, you know, put themselves in the shoes of their clients and think about what they should be doing for them. And that's the sort of culture and the philosophy that we're trying to, you know, ingrain within Sompo. So hugely supportive, massive congratulations and really look forward to working with you. 
Fantastic. Well, uh, Julian, I really appreciate you coming on and being our first uh, CEO and leadership interview with uh, Emmett Talks. Thank you. Thank you.